going to read from God's Word, Revelation chapters 21 and 22, which is page 878 in your church Bibles. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of every precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its walls and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurements, which the angel was using. The wall was made out of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made out of a single pearl. 
The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Continuing on in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and of all who keep the word of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add him to the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes word away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.
Amen. Well, here we are, the last uh, sermon in the book of Revelation. We started the end of February. It's now the last Sunday in May, and it's been a, a roller coaster of a ride. We've met beasts and dragons and the whores of Babylon, and tonight we come to probably the most famous chapter in the book of Revelation. Uh, but it's important that we've understood what's come before, before we hear these last chapters. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at God's word together. Father, you've been kind to us, you have shaped our thinking, you've changed our minds, you've shaped our wills, you've encouraged us, you've challenged us as we've looked at your word over the last few months. Uh, Lord, we pray tonight as we gather again uh, that your spirit will be so powerfully at work in us. Uh, Lord, we want to know the word better, we want to know you better, and we want to be better prepared for, for glory. So please do a great work in us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Here's my question, uh, what is heaven? Someone stopped you and said, okay, you're a Christian, you believe in heaven, what is heaven? What do you say to them? What do you say to them, what is heaven? I mean, that's what we live for, isn't it? That's why we gather each week, because we're preparing ourselves for heaven, so what is heaven? Maybe you're quite childlike in your understanding of heaven. You think of sort of disembodied spirits just floating around in nothingness. And maybe your understanding of heaven comes from the world of art. You know, you think of the, the emerald gates and the, the bridge of gold and lots of angels floating around. And maybe, like many Christian writers, you're just living in dreamland. Uh, Philip Yancey, very popular Christian writer, he writes this, heaven is a, is a diverse landscape. I have a theory that heaven will offer faithful Christians whatever they sacrificed on this earth for Jesus. And so my mountain climbing friend who intentionally lived in the slum area of Chicago, he will, have, he will have Yosemite valleys all to himself. And my missionary doctor friend who lived in the parched land of the, of the Sudan, she will have her own private rainforest to explore. It's a nice idea, but it's not biblical. What is heaven? You've got to know, haven't you? That, that's what we're heading for. Where are you going? Why do you keep following Jesus? What is heaven all about? See, I don't think many of us know what heaven is really all about. We certainly don't talk about it very much, do we? When was the last time you sat down and talked with someone about heaven? We don't talk about it, and when we, when we do, it's kind of like, oh yeah, heaven will be great, but I hope that I live long enough to get married, have kids, travel the world. And so when Christians die tragically young, we automatically think of all the things that they've missed out on on this world, as though somehow heaven doesn't quite match up to this world. When Christians are diagnosed with terminal cancer, we encourage them to do all the things that they've always wanted to do in this world. And behind that is the assumption that, that heaven won't quite match up to this world. Heaven will be great, uh, but not quite as good as this world. What is your view of heaven? You've got to answer that question. Uh, when John MacArthur, who is an American preacher, 
was preaching on heaven. He said this, In heaven, uh, we will eternally feast our eyes upon Jesus without interruption. In heaven, we'll we'll view Jesus in his glorious perfection forever and ever, day after day and night after night. And one of his wardens was heard to utter, Oh, please, Lord, don't take me to heaven yet. Is that you? Are you longing for heaven? Do you want to be in heaven? The Apostle Paul said his desire was to depart and to be with Christ, which was better by far. As see, Paul had understood that, that this world, with all its deceptions and, and all its decay and its just fleeting, he wanted to be with Christ, which to him was better by far. But for us, this world offers us so much, doesn't it? Well, tonight we reach the climax of the whole Bible. And the whole focus is on heaven. And if you've understood Revelation 21 and 22, you will long for heaven. It will change your life now, and it will change your longings now. So what is heaven? Here it is. It's all about God's people. It's all about God's people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. What does John see? Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven, or literally the word is sky. I saw a new sky and a new earth. For the first sky and the first earth had passed away. Of course they have. They fled from God's presence back in chapter 20, verse 11. They couldn't stand before a holy God because this earth and this sky is full of sin. And verse 1, there was no sea. Because sea in the Bible is a picture of chaos and evil. John sees a new earth with a new sky. There's a big debate as to whether this earth is recreated from scratch or whether it's restored or renewed. I think it's like our resurrection bodies, you know. It's the same, but it's radically different. I think God's going to renew and restore this earth, get rid of the sin. It'll be the same but radically, radically different. So please stop thinking, you know, disembodied souls. There's a real earth and a real sky. We are real people with real bodies in heaven. But then John's vision changes. What does he see in verse 2? I saw a holy city. Now, where are some revelation? Have you heard of a city? It was back in chapter 17 and 18 where where God talked about the city of Babylon. And Babylon was, uh, was, uh, op- uh, was opposed to God. It was a city that was rebellious, that was stubborn, that was arrogant, that ignored God. Uh, where else in the Bible did you see a city? The very first city that ever existed. Genesis 11. When the people gathered together, they built a city, and they built a tower to try and reach heaven, the Tower of Babel. But this city is called the holy city, and it comes down from heaven. Verse 2. It is God's gift to us. And then John does this kind of mind shift. Verse 2, he kind of personifies this city. And it's not like the the whore of the city of Babylon. Verse 2. This city personified is a bride. Beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, John picks up again in verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride, 
the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the bride. No, he showed me the city, the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And see what John is doing. He's trying to mess with our minds. Is it a city or is it a bride? It's the same thing. The bride is the city. The bride is the Jerusalem. Now, now who is the bride? Please don't run to an easel and paint a picture. Think biblically. Who is the bride? Who is the wife of the Lamb? The church. God's people who have redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are the bride. We are the wife of the Lamb. We are the city. Now, do you get it? What is heaven? It's not a place, it's a people. John doesn't go into great details about a place. He's talking about us, God's people who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So the golden streets, the pearly gates, it's us, the people of God. We're not spectators in heaven, we are heaven. We are the redeemed people who had our robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. See, throughout this vision, uh, John keeps uh, seeing the number 12, doesn't he? 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 pearls. Look at verse 12 with me. The city, which is the people, had great high walls with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And the gates were written, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament people of God. But then on the walls of the city, in verse 14, there are 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And all he's saying there is the, the 12 Old Testament, the 12 New Testament, all the New Testament and Old Testament believers were all there. But who are these people? Look at verse 11. It, the city, the people, shone with the glory of God. I love that verse. We, the church, the redeemed people, will shine with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Where have you heard that before? Chapter 4, the throne room of God. What he's saying is that we will radiate the brilliance and the glory and the beauty and the majesty of our Heavenly Father. I know we don't see that now, do we? We, the church, we don't radiate the brilliance of God at the moment. To be blunt, we're pretty ugly. Well, not externally, internally, we're ugly. Full of sin, full of depravity, full of bickering and double-mindedness. But lift your eyes to heaven and we will be beautiful. Instead of the muck, we will radiate the majesty of our God. Instead of the grime, we will radiate the glory of our God. That is heaven transformed, redeemed people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue. And if you grasp that, that heaven is about you and me in community, it will change your life now. Because if you don't enjoy meeting together as church now, it's no wonder you're not looking forward to heaven. If you don't long to gather with God's people now, today, of course you're not going to long for heaven. If you hate people sitting next to you now, you're not going to long to be with them for eternity. Heaven is about us, community. But is that all it is? Is that all that heaven is? What makes heaven any different from a football crowd or a ketubah convention? What makes heaven, heaven? Here it is. 
Heaven is God's glorious presence. Here on earth, a new earth and a new sky, God in all his glory dwelling with his people. See, John hears a voice and words are often more important than what we see. And what does John hear in verse 3? I heard a loud voice from the throne. What does the voice say? Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I read that again. The dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. The glorious, majestic, holy, faithful, omnipotent, sovereign God who is dwelling, who is tabernacling, who is living with his people. Isn't that what you've always wanted? That's what we were created for. Think back to Eden before sin. Adam and Eve dwelling with their God, walking with him in the light of day. Think back to Israel, the people of God, and they went to a tabernacle or a temple to, to meet with a place where God dwelled. Here's what God promised in Leviticus. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Ezekiel, my dwelling place, will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy, where my dwelling place is among them forever. Friends, that's what God created us for, to live with him to dwell with him, to see him, that intimate, joyful, perfect relationship with him. Do you remember when Jesus stepped onto the earth? What did he say? John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God in the flesh dwelling with his people. And that's where we're heading. That's what heaven is. The perfect, majestic, sovereign, holy God dwelling with his people. It's there again in verse 7. He who overcomes, who endures, will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. And in case you've missed it, John kind of rams his home. It's amazing this chapter if you do the hard work. In heaven, there's no temple. Verse 22, I didn't see a temple in, in the city. The temple, the place where the people went to meet with God. I didn't see a temple there because you don't need one. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You don't need an appointment with God. He's always there. He doesn't pop in from time to time. He's always there. You don't go to a place. He's always there everywhere. It's amazing. This city that John describes is, is cubic in shape. Uh, Verse 16, the city was laid out like a a square as long as it was wide, 12,000 stadiums long, that's about 2,200 kilometers. And as wide as it was high, it's a cube. Where else in the Bible have you seen a cube? Do you know your Bibles? Where in the Bibles is a cube? Except the temple. It's called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is shaped like a cube because that's where God dwells. And what he's saying is heaven is one enormous, gigantic cube because God fills every tiny inch of it with his presence. And you don't have to go there once a year with one man, a high priest. You can be there for all eternity with your God. 
No temple, no priest, no mediator. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Aaron, the high priest, had a a breastplate that was covered in precious stones, and on that stone was jasper and sapphire and emerald and sardonyx. Is that ring any bells from Revelation 21? Verse 19, the foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stones, with jasper and sapphire and emerald and sardonyx and topaz and jatins and amethyst. It's saying, you don't need a priest anymore because you have direct access to God now. He's there all the time, every place, everywhere. There's no light there, verse 23. The city doesn't need a light of the sun or the moon. Why? Because God's there. The glory of the God gives its light and the Lamb, the lamb is its lamp. Of course he is. He's the light of the world. And here it is, verse 3. There's no curse. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. That's what makes heaven, heaven. The holy God dwelling with his people because sin has been rid of. The curse that that shudders from the garden, that banishes from the garden. But there's a a new tree. It's there in verse 2. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Not in one place, but on either side of the river, kind of like an infinite vine running the whole length of this city. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And we have access to the tree of life because there's no sin anymore. There's no curse anymore. It's fascinating, the word for tree in verse, verse 2, it's not your usual word for tree. It's the word that Peter used in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he said he himself bore his sins, our sins in his body on the tree. And there is a tree of life that we have access to because sin has been rid of. The curse isn't there anymore. Don't you just long to, to wake up one day and to imagine 24 hours without sinning. To wake up and think, oh, today's going to be a day where I've got no temptation, no greed, no lust, no selfishness. Today's going to be a day where my selfishness doesn't hurt somebody else and other people's selfishness doesn't hurt me. That's heaven. And that's why the doors are always open there because nothing impure will enter it. Because God is there dwelling with his people. But the climax is really 22 verse 4. The throne of God and of his Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Here it is. They will see his face. And you're supposed to sit there going, that's not possible. No one can see God's face and live. No, we will. We will see him face to face, intimately, enjoying his beauty serving him, reigning with him for all eternity. Now that's the bit I don't think we get. That's the bit I don't think we long for, to see the almighty God and our Savior Jesus Christ face to face. Uh, We like 21 verse 4. We're good at quoting that about heaven. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Oh, we like that. Because I think we want heaven basically to be all the bad things removed from our life now, all the good things still there, 
but we don't really care whether God's there or not. Isn't that true? Your idea of heaven, all the nice things of life, all the good things of life, all the bad things gone, but do you really care if God's there? Uh, Francis Chan says this, the critical question for our generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no conflict, no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? And I fear for many of us the answer will be yes. Because heaven is about us and our pain being removed and our suffering being removed and no death or mourning or crying or pain. But we leave Jesus out of the picture. Remember when the people of God in the Old Testament were in exile in Babylon, they they wrote a song uh, by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and we wept. Why are they weeping? They're not weeping over their possessions that were left there. They're weeping because God is no longer there and they long to be back in the place where God is. They want to see their God. They long to see their God. John on the island of Patmos, I'm sure he wanted all his suffering to end, but more than that, he wanted to see Jesus. Those first century martyrs, sure, that, that verse of, of no suffering and no, no death or no mourning or crying and every tear, it meant something to them. Of course it did, but more than that, they wanted to see Jesus. I'll say this as bluntly as I possibly can. If you're going to spend an eternity with a God who you don't passionately love now, and if you're going to spend an eternity with a Lord Jesus Christ, a Savior, who you don't passionately serve now, then at best, heaven for you will be some wearisome place. The more you love Jesus now, the more you know Jesus now, the more you will long for heaven. Who are the people I know who long for heaven the most? They're not just the ones who suffer the most. They're the ones who love Jesus the most now. The people who who read their Bibles the most and and know Jesus better and better and better. Uh, The people who who say no to the world because they love Jesus so much now. The people who pray the most now because God's given us this gift of prayer where we can talk to him. But they're kind of saying, it's a great gift of prayer, but I just long to see you face to face. The people who serve Jesus the most now They're the ones who long for heaven the most. The more you love Jesus now, the more you long for heaven. There's a story called The Best is Yet to Come. It's about a a man who's dying of cancer. He's a Christian man. His doctor's also a Christian. His doctor comes to visit the man who's dying. And the man who's dying is quite fearful of heaven, doesn't know what's there, and the doctor doesn't know what to say. And then the doctor hears this scratch and this kicking at the door. He goes over to the door, opens the door, and in runs his little dog. And the doctor goes, ah, now I know what to say. He goes back to the dying man. He says, see my dog here? He's never been here before. He didn't have a clue what, what was behind that door. He just knew that I was here, and so he wanted to be here too. 
I, I don't know exactly what heaven will look like. But I know that my Savior's there. The Lord Jesus Christ is there, and so I want to be there too. Is that you? Your Savior is there, and you long to see him face to face and serve him and reign with him for all eternity. Please, 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 spend your days here on earth knowing Jesus better and better and better, and then you'll long for glory. So my question is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for heaven? Are you longing for heaven? See, remember who John is writing to. What is the revelation all about? He's writing to churches. He's writing to people who gather together each week like us. And John is realistic. Not everyone's going to be there. And he asked the basic question, which community are you really living? Are, are you part of Babylon or are you part of the New Jerusalem? Are you worshipping the lamb or are you worshipping the beast? Who's going to be there? Those who long for him to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm coming soon. Yes, please come, Lord Jesus. Who's going to be there? Verse 6 of 21. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty. To, them who, to those who constantly run to Jesus. I will give you, give you to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Who's going to be there? Verse 7, those who overcome, who endure. Those who stick with Jesus to their dying day. Because according to verse 7, verse 8 rather, some won't be there. Some who sit in church who are cowardly. Those are the people who fear the world, the world more than they fear God. They fear the persecution of the world more than they fear God. The unbelieving won't be there, those who don't really believe in Jesus. The vile, the murderers, those who habitually, uh, who habitually commit sexual immorality, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all who are liars, those who sing the words but their lives don't match up, uh, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Who's going to be there? Those who stick with the Lamb. Those who, according to 22 verse 7, Keep the words of the prophecy. That is, act on what the word says. Those who don't take away from the word, don't add to the word, but just stick with Jesus. Who's going to be there? Those who long for his coming. Those who say, verse 20 of, verse, of chapter 22, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Those who just long to be home. Have you ever longed to be with somebody you love? See, letters don't really cut it. Emails don't cut it. Even Skype doesn't cut it. You just want to see them face to face. I long to see my mum. But she's in the UK. It's a long way. It's 24 hours. It's a long, long way. And you sit in that plane... And you watch a movie, and then you watch another movie, and another movie, and have some food, and more food, and more food. And then the plane lands. Do you stick on the plane? Do you say to the steward, I'd like to stay a bit longer, please. I'd like to watch the rest of the movie. Of course you don't. Because you want to be with the people that you love. And you rush off that plane, and you want to be home. 
And my fear is that many of us see this world as home. It's not. It's just the plane journey. Please don't get comfortable here. Please don't enjoy this life too much. Just be longing to be home with your Savior. And every day, wake up and say, I'm in this world, but it's not my home. Heaven's my home. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And you'll do that, you know, if you love Jesus more each day. I've been a Christian now for 20 years. I can honestly say I love Jesus more today than I did 20 years ago. I love him more today than I did 20 years ago. And I pray that the day I die, I will love Jesus Christ more and more and more each day until I'm taken to glory. And I pray that will be true of you as well. I'm going to pray the words of chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Father, I pray that your grace would keep us that your grace would sustain us, that your grace would overflow our lives each day that we live on this earth as we wait for and long for glory. Lord, with the angels and with the Spirit and with the church, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we long for the day where sin is removed, where suffering is removed. But more than that, Lord, we long to see you in all your glory face to face to serve you, to reign with you, day and night, forever and ever. In Jesus' precious name.